So welcome back to the Diaries of the Wild Ones. So this episode was recorded a while ago, mid-2018, I think it was. I was up in Brisbane doing a construction job, hence why I'm accidentally swearing so much like you do when you're on a building site. But nonetheless, this is great story time. I sit down with Matt Brown and I tell him about the second trip I do to India. So if you don't know what happened to me in India, go back to the first episode I ever did, Escape from the Indian Mafia, which is the highest rated episode I have. And it's a story that left me traumatized from the country and never wanting to go back. But I did go back seven years later. I went back the start of 2018 to do a silent meditation called a Vipassana. So Matt and I were just talking like we normally do. And I just press record mid chat and then we get into some great story time. So I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. It doesn't... You grow so much now and you don't think like you did as a teenager. How is it like when you... I remember being 18 and thinking I just had my shit sorted. I've got this shit, you know, yeah, I'm yeah, a yeah. fucking adult. I look back at myself then. I didn't figure things... I, I, like, I have an idea now where where we want to go. Do you know what I mean? Or at least yeah. for now, like what I want to do. But I didn't. I wish I had that when I was 20. Yeah, you learn how to make good decisions. Some people you become good. emotionally aware. Well, yeah, some people... And can do it, but... I think growing is one of the most amazing experiences. I love to grow. I love to be a better version of myself. This is why when I did the Vipassana, just stories like that, as in that mm. you were just telling me about like he still hates that friend. And so like I was always interested in this. Um, I mean, it still hates that guy. Yeah. But it's like I was always interested in how to clear those emotions, being the happiest version of yourself or just interested in that process like how does that happen so i thought going to india to meditate in science and clearing these emotions i thought that you go and you like meditate on those memories and then yeah. they just clear but it actually doesn't work like that i'll explain to you what actually let's start the story yeah go yeah so i've always wanted to go do this for passing as we were just saying yeah and i um so when i first got really keen for it I started looking it up because you don't have to go to India for it. You can do it in Australia. There's a couple of places in Australia you can do it. So I looked them up and I looked at applying and it was like a six-month waiting list. So in I, Australia. I, yeah. So I just didn't yeah. bother. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. Oh, it's, it's not the time. But a few months later, I was like, oh, maybe I'll give it a go now. And the thing is, um, I never know where I'm going to be in six months. I get anxiety if I have to lock anything in like yeah. within like six months because that means that I'm locked. I don't have the freedom to just go do what I want. And you freak out. Yeah. yeah so I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, a few things I'm fine with, but it's just like, I want to have the freedom just to be able to escape when I want to escape. So I went online again and I couldn't get in again. It's like another six month wait. And then um, I was actually talking to a kinesiologist one day. And what's, I, that, what's a kinesiologist? A kinesiologist is kind of like a <laughs> kinesiologist. There's someone who helps you clear um, emotional baggage um, they kind of get it to bring, uh, I don't know how to explain a kinesiologist. They're kind of like a um, therapist. Yeah. Um, well, they are a therapist. Um, and they kind of find where you're holding the emotions and your muscles and everything and help you get that out. They, they bring up a lot of stuff. But this friend of mine, I was talking to her, and I said how I've always wanted to do the Vipassana. She goes, well, why don't you? I was like, well, yeah, it's always a long wait, blah, blah. And she goes, well, you you're not limited to Australia, you know? And I was, and suddenly it just clicked. I was like, yeah, I'm not. Why have I been putting this off? And it was just, for some reason, I don't know, everything just clicked. It just fell into place. I went straight online and I looked up one in India and there was, they were everywhere in India and Sri Lanka because that's where, well, it's a Buddhist meditation. So I look up this um, one in Chennai 
and it was coming up in a few weeks mm. and I applied for it. Oh, no, I looked up flights and flights were like, I think I got flights to India from Gold Coast for something like, I think it was 180 bucks or $200 there. And I was just like, yep, boom, done. Well, one way. One way. Okay. And then I, then I decided to go to Indonesia after I wanted yeah. to go there and go surfing. So I booked two weeks in India. But I was always scared to go back. So that's why I was just like, I'm flying straight in there, mm. doing the Vipassana flying straight out because of the whole traumatic experience in the north. But this was in the south of India. And I, I did know because I traveled in Sri Lanka for quite a while. And um, the people down there in, 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 in the south, just a, I found quite a different mentality. Yeah. But I was still scared about India. So I just wanted to fly in, fly out. I'm like, you know what? I've done India. I don't need to see it. But anyway, I ended up, at, we'll talk about it, I had an amazing experience. But so I'm like, so I look it up, $200 flight. So I'm just like, bang. So I applied for it. I got accepted like that night. Mm. I was like, oh my God, it's happening. So it was just like, it was just the time that I was ready to do it. That's what I feel anyway. So this is a bit of a spiritual kind of story, I suppose. It was something that I just grew a lot with from this, from this experience. So anyway, so I'm like, all right, perfect. But at the time I just bought my land in Australia. I um, had spent all the money I had and I didn't have much money. So I was like... Well, I need to get a job, but mm. I'm about to go away for a month. So I started applying for jobs, looking around for work, and I got a job down in Newcastle. And they said, and I said to them, oh, I'm going away for the next month. They said, well, we need to get you in a drug test straight away. And this is the, th- the thing. <laughs> so they've given me the job, sent me the contract, sent me in for a drug test. But I've been down on my land that I just bought yeah. for a couple of weeks trying to get acquainted with my land and thinking and getting my... Um, artistic side going you know you're getting all the imagination going so i was getting high every day <laughs> I was smoking weed every day just cruising on my land and anyway so they've called me up and obviously you're like yeah no worries yeah book us in friday for a drug test yeah yeah this was tuesday <laughs> <laughs> now i've got a pretty fast metabolism but i'm like you know what i need to sweat this stuff out so wednesday i get up and i'm like all right I'm going to go for a big run. Now, I do, back then I wasn't doing as much long distance running, but I thought I'll just go run 10K straight up. Mm. But I must have something a bit of liming out. So I went and ran 10Ks and just sweated my, my ring out. But my back, my lower back just swelled right up and it was, it, was, it was excruciating. And then I was like, oh my God, I've still got to run more. I need to sweat more. So the next day, Thursday, I get up and I go for another big run. So another 10K run, yeah. sweat more. Anyway... The Friday, I um, go do the drug test and I pass. You never want to sweat on the day of the drug test because that's when um, your cells... Because the thing is when you're running and everything, you're opening up all those cells where it's yeah. stored. So you're flushing them out. So you never want to do that on the, the day of your actual test. So, And then you just drink heaps of water and everything. But it's like, yeah, it was fine. Two days and I passed. So I was like, all right, perfect. So anyway, I get on this flight um, to India and I'm thinking, okay, my back is swelled up. I don't have any time. As soon as I get in there, I've got a day before I go to the, um, let's call it an ashram, but it's, um, they've got a pagoda there. It's, it's their meditation halls. So I've got, um, and they kind of have some dormitories and everything. Monks live there, and it's they're amazing, amazing hmm. for passing the centers. Um, so I've got a day in, in Chennai, and I thought, well, you know what? I need to get some yoga pants because it's going to be really hot, so I need to get some nice, loose yoga or meditation pants kind of thing i thought well i won't get them in australia i'll get them in india that'll be heaps easier i thought i'll get myself a massage there by this stage my back was so swollen so i get on i just remember sitting on the plane the whole time it was just my back was just throbbing and i was putting some deep heat on it and i would have stunk out the plane because i was i was in pain 
anyway, so I get to um, I get to India, and I go straight to this hotel, and I meet this lady there. Um, there was just another Westerner there, so I was like, so I just went up and started chatting with her, and she was there for the Vipassana as well. Okay, cool. She'd flown in from uh, England. Same one that you were going to for the same one, yeah. yeah. So. I said, I'm going to go into the city, um, go to a few markets. I've got to try to get some yoga pants. Um, do you want to come? She's like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And I said, I'm going to get a massage too, you know. So we, we get a tuk-tuk into, into the city, into the markets. And we go around and I cannot find yoga pants anywhere. Or like just loose fitting meditation pants or like, yeah. um, or just religious pants. Anything that's just loose for men. They just had jeans. And I was like, there's got to be another place. So we're getting taken from store to store to store, all around the city, everywhere. And this tuk-tuk driver's trying to help us. And we end up going to this big department store. And we go in there. And by this stage, we've been looking for pants for like three hours. I go to the men's section. They've got nothing, just jeans. And this is this massive like five-story department store. Everything's really cheap. Did you try the girls' section? Yeah, so I'm just like, that's it. I'm going to the girls' section. But the thing is, right, you've got all these workers trying to help you because like they take – they go with you. A worker will go with you. There's heaps of workers and then yeah. they'll go with you. You'll pick out what you want. They'll take and take it to the counter. Yeah. So And because I'm a, a white guy in, um, in Chennai, they're kind of just pretty interested. So they're all hanging around me. And I'm, I'm just going straight to the girls section. They're all trying to tell me like, no, no, no. And I found exactly perfect pants. They were female pants. <laughs> and they're like um, light, light green and flowers. And I was just like, you know what? I'm done. These are the, I'll just do this. I'll just deal with these. <laughs> and so... I had to try them on there. I have this whole store laughing at me. And um, so anyway, I buy them. And they turned out to be the comfiest pants I've ever worn. You still got them? Still got them. Still wear them. <laughs> <laughs> I'll wear them at home sometimes. They're real light. Yeah. The pants are like, yeah, like they're really cool. Like, But um, it's just funny. I wore them for the whole Vipassana and the whole time. Because you're not allowed to speak, right? The whole time, people are looking at me going, this guy's wearing girls' pants. Like, that's <laughs> what I'm thinking, you know? And no one can tell each other. So, yeah, so anyway, right, we, we run out of time and I couldn't get a massage. And I was just thinking, oh, I'll be right. And I'm not going to be doing anything, I'm not exercising. I'm just going to be sitting there. This is how naive I was. I didn't mm. understand the process. I thought I was going there. You med- meditate on emotions that you hold charges with. And then you like, you bring them up, you understand them, you get over them, they release from mm. you. This, this is where I was wrong. So we go to this Vipassana Center. And it's the arrival day in the afternoon and we're, we're all checking in. And this is the only time you're allowed to talk. So you kind of get to say hi to a couple of people, but everything's just trying to check in and get to their rooms. And there was about 80 students and only about six Westerners. So they're all Indian. Yeah. There's about six Westerners. Now, there was a guy that I met that afternoon, um, a German guy, and I just got to lightly talk to him when we're waiting in the line. But we got put in the same room together. Yeah. So... This is a bit of a blessing in disguise. So anyway, you go into the meditation hall that afternoon. They explain to you, you know, like you can talk if you want um, for this tonight, but we're going to like lightly meditate tonight and we start in the morning, the bell, no one talks. But they kind of like suggested you don't start talking at all, you know, like everyone just yeah. start, start the silence. It's Attempt just all, to work on Yeah, it's all, all the practice. It's all about it. They kind of talk to you about stripping all beliefs. They're just like for this two weeks, just – Forget about if, you, if you're a Christian, you believe in God. They're just like, just forget about any beliefs that you have and just keep an open mind. Hmm. So it's actually, um, it's, it's just such an amazing experience. It's like, so they just want you to start some, from scratch. Like basically the whole principle of it is that um, you are your own God kind of thing. It's like, so instead of looking to Christ or Allah or um, Buddha or just any kind of, kind of um, Religion, God, yeah. 
just forget about that for now and just look into yourself and you create your own destiny. So let's just think about that and work on that because otherwise anything else is a distraction. They want you to go in and go real deep. So first day we get up in the morning. <laughs> we get up in the morning and I'm getting ready, brushing my teeth and the German guy leaves the room. So the thing was the bell goes off at 4 a.m. You got to be in meditation hall from four thirty to nine thirty at night. Four thirty in the morning to nine thirty, sitting there the whole time meditating. You get a couple of breaks for lunch. You get uh, morning tea, lunch, and afternoon tea. You get a couple of breaks. You go back to your room. So the whole so you're only able to get about six hours sleep anyway. So the first morning we go to sleep the first night, hardly talking, instead a couple of little things, haven't got to know the guy at all. So we wake up in the morning. Bell goes off. To, so the monks walk around all the dorm rooms and like fling, um, flinging a bell to wake everyone up. So he's coming around. We wake up. I go into the bathroom. The German guy gets ready already and leaves, goes yeah. to the meditation hall. But the, all, the door, all the rooms had locks on the outside of them. So when he's walked out, he's shut the door and locked it from the outside. So I'm sitting in there brushing my teeth and I go to walk out the door and the door's locked. What, they lock you in? They don't lock you in. He accidentally locked the door because the lock was on the outside of the door. Oh, right, right. So he's gone to the meditation hall, locked the door on the outside, walked off. But the thing is, I can't speak. I can't talk to anyone, so everyone's walking past. <laughs> I'm like trying to get people's attention, but it's dark because, <laughs> you know, it's like four, well, quarter past four in the morning. Yeah. So I'm trying to get people's attention. Everyone's just walking past and I'm just there going, oh, shit, my first day. <laughs> I'm like, locked in the room. <laughs> so anyway, I've waited about 10 minutes trying to – and because we're right at the end of the hallway too, so no one else is walking past. There's only two other rooms and they've all walked past. Next thing, the monk's doing the final call at 4.30 with the bell and he walks past and I just start as he's coming past my room to start banging on the window. (laughs) (laughs) He just looks. He's like, what the hell? (laughs) And I'm like trying to point to the door, like, can I unlock the door? So he unlocks the door. So anyway, go in. And this is the thing. What did you just give him the thumbs up? Yeah. Well, this is the thing. So I want to tell the German guy when something happens, I get too excited. I want to like, tell oh, you, motherfucker, you locked me in. Yeah, I was like, I wanted to have a laugh about it, be like, dude, you yeah. couldn't speak, you locked me in. Like, And anyway, so I had to sit on this the whole week. <laughs> the whole week. I'm like, I want to tell that guy he locked me in. You know, that's... So um, anyway, so we start the meditation. Now, the meditation is, is just the sense of feeling. It's yep. just focusing on the sense of feeling. You start with your nose and you move. You end up throughout the days, you go through your whole body. Do you give them water and stuff? like? Yeah, uh, you know that, well, not during the meditation, no. Yeah. So you do like kind of two-hour meditation sittings. So you go in two to three hours kind of thing. And then I think the first one in the morning is an hour and a half. Well, they're two to three hours, the meditation sittings. So you're sitting there, you're not allowed to move. Oh, you can change posture. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, but you're sitting on your little meditation mat on the floor. Now, when I, any meditation that I've done in the past, I've always, like, had my legs out because I've got bad knees because I've blown both my knees out. Or I sit on a chair or sit up against something. Mm. <laughs> and um, and so we go into this meditation hall and they're all cushions on the floor. And so my back is so swollen as it is. So we sit on the floor and it is just painful. So the first day I'm just moving around and like I just can't get comfortable. And so I'm sitting there doing the meditation, you know, meditating on on the the feeling of breathing in and out. And yeah, you, you actually go deeper than what you think you would even on the first day. So second day comes around and it is just so painful by this stage because you think about trying to sit in the one position or just sitting on the floor from 4.30 in the morning with a couple of breaks but to 9.30 at night. It is insanely painful. It is yeah. insane. So my back is just in agony. So anyway, at 12 o'clock, 
during lunch, if you want to speak to the, the teacher, the yeah. guru, if you want to go ask any questions, you know, to the enlightened one kind of thing, um, you can line up the monks, like kind of set you up in front of the meditation hall and he's up on his meditating up the end and let you in one at a time. You can go in and... And actually speak to him. Yeah, and actually speak to him. That's the only time you're allowed to talk. You go tell him about getting locked in your room. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, dude, guess what? No, so anyway, I'm in that much pain. I'm thinking, you know what? I'm just going to go in, talk to him, ask him if I can sit in a chair, you know, so I can... You got any neurofin, mate? <laughs> 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 you got a masseuse around here? No, but... um. So I line up, they open the doors, it becomes my turn. You open up in this dark hall. Guys, you know, he's in the white robe. He's sitting up at the end on a chair, sitting there meditating. It's, hovering, you're walking up. Hovering above the room. <laughs> full, dude, it's in, such an insane experience. You know, it's such a, a cultural experience. And you walk up and you sit on the floor in front of him. You're not allowed to put your feet um, pointing towards him because that's, um, that's, I think it's a sign of, well, it's a sign of disrespect for him. Mm. But I thought putting, yeah, it's a sign of disrespect. But, um. So you sit there and I said to him, he's, you know, my child, what's troubling you? And I said, you know, um, the meditation, it's, it's amazing and everything, but I'm, lo- I'm getting distracted too easily because my back's so sore. So is there any chance I can sit in a chair and like, um, you know, be a bit more comfortable? I think if I could be a bit more comfortable, go a bit deeper. Yeah. And so this is the thing. The motherfuckers like, they, okay, so they, they will never give you the answer because the whole thing is it's like everything we know is on the intellectual surface level of the mind, but it's about going deeper and actually feeling it. I think we talked about before, like if you, let's say like your parents tell you not to touch the hot plate. Yeah. You'll, but you know, you'll t- not you want to know what the it. feeling is. Yeah, but you yeah. want to know that. So on the surface level of the mind, you know not to touch it, but you don't actually know until you touch it. So they won't tell you. So that's why they give you riddles. Mm. So they give you freaking riddles. And it's like, it's pretty amazing, but it's actually kind of annoying at some point. But so, so I said to him, you know, it's just distracting me too much. And he said, you know, any physical pain you have is just your mind trying to distract you from what it is. So he's like, you need to go deeper. Forget about the pain. When you feel that pain, he said, just acknowledge it and move on. He's like, just let it dissolve. And I was like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, right, I don't get this at all. He's like, he's like, just don't give it anything. All that is is just your mind trying to distract you. So he's like, just give any thought, just... um. Just don't give it any thought. Just move on. And he said, now, if, you get, if you're getting too sore, just change posture and then start again. But he's like, you can't take a chair. We want you to stay on the floor like you'll be right. So I was like, all right. Anyway, third day goes long, getting sore. Fourth day goes long. By this stage, I'm in absolute agony. And I come home. Um, we go to go to bed at, in the nighttime on the fourth day. And I come out and I lay on the floor and I'm just cracking my back and it's just cracking like in every which way. Anyway, I ended up just turning to my roommate and just trying to point at my back and hitting the floor with my hands to say like, can you stand on my back? And he's just looking at me like, what the hell is this guy talking about? He I, think he up- wants, I think he wants me to fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> Miscommunication. He just starts, he jumps on me like, what are you doing? <laughs> no, but anyway, he ends up getting what I'm talking about and he stands on me and my back just cracks in so many places. Anyway, and he, next thing I get up, I was just like trying to give him the thumbs up, like, thank you. And then he's like, oh, my, like pointing to his back and then he lays on the ground. Oh, so he was in pain as well. Yeah, so he's in pain as well. So then I get down, crack his back and then I'm thinking, I wake up. So then the monks come around 4.30 in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I'm in so much pain on the fifth day. And I just thought, you know what? Today, I'm going to sit up the back of the room. There's some chairs that were left over from... Um, the night before because right at the end of the night they do this talk and they can bring 
um, bring some chairs in. That's when you're allowed to sit in chairs. So I thought they're up the back of the room. I might right. grab a chair. And just today, I'm gonna just gonna. I don't care. I'm just gonna sit in a chair <laughs> for today. Just give my back a rest, you know. And so I'm like, all right, perfect. So then we come to the meditation hall, four thirty in the morning, and at the front of the meditation hall will be that day's meditation in um, five different languages. Yeah. So it'll be in English, it'll be in the, but it's all the different dialects. So Hindi, the different dialects. So Tamil, um, and then it'll be in English. Um, and it says today we practice. Um, Sitting still, no moving for um, one hour sitting. Was it one hour sittings or two hour sittings? Oh, I think it was one hour sitting. No, no moving for one hour. So no changing posture. Yeah. So I'm just like, you're kidding me. I'm like, nah, I'll just do it in the chair. So I walk in. All the chairs are gone. <laughs> I'm just like, damn it. <laughs> so I go in and I sit down and I start. And I, you know, I sit down and I go, you know what? This is what I came here for. I'm just going to give it a go. This is what I came here for. I came here for this experience. I'm not going to – I'm just going to try to get the most out of it. So I sat there. And within probably two minutes, I was in the most agony I've ever been <laughs> in my life. And so I'm like, how am I supposed to get through an hour of this? So, so and it, just, it just starts escalating and getting worse and getting worse. Meanwhile, I'm getting deeper into meditation, but my back is just killing me. And it gets to the point where I'm in this deep meditation and I'm in so much physical pain. Like I, I always thought that if you ever got to this level of physical pain that you would actually pass out, that you would never feel this amount of pain. That's how much of... That's well, there's, yeah, there is a level of pain you get to where you do pass out. Yeah, but that must be pretty, <laughs> <laughs> pretty fucking painful because I was in the most pain I've ever been in my life, right? So I'm sitting there and I just start screaming inside and I start screaming for someone to come save me. Screaming inside there. or screaming out loud? No, screaming inside. So because you're in this deep meditation and say if you talk to yourself or whatever, it's all inside. So I'm like literally, like I'm not there. I'm deep within. I don't know how to explain it. You're meditating. You're yeah, in a meditative yeah. state. You're inside your own world. So I just start screaming for someone to come help me. Like come, someone come bring this pain away from me. Just someone just... And so I start... I'm not, I'm not religious. I don't believe in God. Well, in that sense anyway. So I start calling out for God. I'm like, if there's a God, come help me. I start calling out for Buddha because they're doing a Buddha meditation. Like, yeah. Buddha, like if you're there, you gotta, someone's got to come help me. Yeah, get up, I, you fat fuck. Yeah. <laughs> help me out. Fuck it, I'm in so much pain. Take this pain away from me. And then I start, I start screaming out for my dad. Just like, oh, and then wow. I start screaming out for my mom. And I'm like, Mom, you got to come. You got to come down. You got to like, you got to take this pain away. Someone's got to help me here. I'm in so much like pain. Like I need help. Then I started screaming out for my um, my mother-in-law, hmm. my my ex-mother-in-law, because she's she's quite a spiritual lady. And I'm like, she's spiritual. She'll hear hear my my calls. And then I'm sitting there, and then I started stewing on it because I'm in so much pain. I'm sitting there, and I'm sweating, and I'm I'm deep inside. No one's coming to help me, and I start getting angry. And then I start getting angry at the guru. Like, this is a fucking waste of time, you know? Like, how the hell is anyone supposed to meditate through pain like this? Like, what the fuck is he talking about? Like, yeah, yeah, like, this is the thing. They trick you. The motherfuckers trick you. So I'm sitting there going, how do I meditate through this pain? This is just freaking impossible. I'm like, what is he talking about? Just... Don't give it any thought and move on, you know, blah, blah. And I'm like, it's just sitting there going, Mom, just someone, just come help me. And then I suddenly just, for some reason, I was like a penny drop moment. For some reason, I just thought, what's Mom going to do? <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck 
is my mum going to do? She comes down and she's like, oh, you're in a bit of pain there, son. <laughs> she'd be like, what, taps me on the shoulder and be like, you'll be right, another, another half an hour, you'll be, just, you'll be right. You know, and I'm thinking... So she came to you? No, you she didn't. No, she but didn't. I was thinking... If she did. If she did, what's she going to do? She's going to tap me on the shoulder and go, you'll be right, son, you know? And then suddenly it clicked to me. It just fully clicked to me in that moment what the guru was going on about. No one else can take that pain away from me but myself. Mm. So as in we've got to be responsible for all our emotions. And so this is, the, this is the, the mill they put you through. So you have that life experience. So you learn that. So it's like everything in day-to-day life, it's like it's so easy. Like when we're in traffic, it's so easy to pass the buck and point it at someone. Yep. It's so easy to, at, you know, like putting your emotions on someone else. It's, it's them that, you know, is making me angry. That person called me this. This person called me that. They did this to me kind of thing. It's so easy to um, blame other people for our circumstances, you know. Yeah. It's so easy to sit around and not take control of your life and just wait for things to come. And in this experience, you realize no one's going to do anything for you but you. And that's the whole thing about forgetting about that there's a God or any God that you believe in that you are your God. It's just like forget about all that because the experience you need to have is that learning that you can control your own emotions, that you can control your destiny kind of thing. So they want you to have this experience. But if they just told you that, you don't get it. So that's why they've got to give you these tricks around the mill. You sort of have to find it within yourself. Yeah. So I'm sitting there and I'm meditating. So the meditation on this day is where you kind of start at your forehead and you feel every little bit of your skin, every little bit of your sensation down through your eyes, down the back of your head, all the way down your body, down to your legs, down to your feet. So it's... um. So you're going through this whole process and suddenly I've just had the realisation... No one can get rid of this pain but myself. And I just started laughing. And I'm sitting there in so much physical pain. Mm. And I just went, okay. So I did the meditation down my body. I got to my lower back when it was pain. And I just said, oh, it was weird. It was like I just welcomed it. I was like, thank you, pain. Like, nice to see you. Like, yeah. what's going on? <laughs> you know, kind of thing. I just, I just welcomed it. And then I just moved on and meditated. Like, um, followed the sensation down through my legs, down to my feet. Now, the thing is, the pain in that moment just completely disappeared. It just completely disappeared. Now, the thing was, there was still this warm sensation right in the back of the consciousness. I don't know how to explain it. There was this warm sensation from my lower back back there, but the pain was gone. So in that moment, I realized that I was responsible, that no Mm. one else could do anything for me but me at the end of the day. Like if I want to be happy to control your own happiness, to control anything in your life, you're responsible for those situations. This is why I like to do these survival trips and do all these... um, weird adventures where I strip myself of this because I kind of got addicted to this emotion. The fact where I go and do these survival trips, you go, when I, like when I went on the island, yeah. which we'll talk about in another podcast, but I didn't take any food or water because I wanted to get to the point where no one else could get that for me but me. You know, like in society, it's like if I get hungry, I can just go get food. And it's I sort get, of like forcing yourself to learn. Exactly. You force yeah. yourself to put in these situations where you've got to be 100% completely responsible for yourself. And in that moment, when you're in that moment, that's when you find your strength. And that's when you find your drive. That's like, it's like, I feel you've got to be, for me anyway, you've got to be broken to be able to grow. It's like, yeah. cause you've got to find the weakest point to find your strength. And then you've got to get yourself out of that. So I'm addicted to getting like, feeling that strength, feeling like an animal. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, so I'm in this meditation and I've just suddenly had this realization. And this is probably maybe, I don't know, 45 minutes, you know, whatever. And I just suddenly have this realization. So then I just 
accepted it and just moved on. And I just had this crazy deep meditation. My whole body was just completely in that moment, completely covered in unconditional love. I don't know. It was, more, it was just appreciation. It was so much love for everyone in my life. It was just insane. This, this, a, this is a completely life-changing emotional experience. It was just yeah. so insane how much appreciation and love I just had flowing through my body. So I'm just meditating. And then next thing, the bell goes off to say like this is at the end of the meditation. Yeah. So ding, 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 ding. And I'm just, I slowed. It takes you about a minute to come back to consciousness. And I'm just like, oh my God, I did it. I did it. And then this is how naive I was. I thought, well, that's what I came here to do. I've done it. (laughs) Ready to go. So anyway, I've come back to consciousness, opened my eyes and I've moved to the side. So I'm sitting there with my legs crossed and I've just moved my body to the side and my back is cracked probably in about 15 different positions. It's just going crack, 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 (laughs) crack. And then I've moved to the other side. It's going crack, 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 crack. And as I've come back to consciousness, I've just suddenly been engulfed with this pain again. And fuck. So I've gone. I'm to now st- paralyzed. Yeah, yeah, I've gone to stand up. I've gone over to, to my knees and I've gone to stand up and I've just fallen back over. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, well, I can't walk. But so, so your mind got you through the pain, but the pain didn't disappear. It just got it just put it in a different place. Yeah, it was like well, the, my mind dissolved the pain. So, yeah, yeah, my physical body still had the pain, but my mind, it wasn't controlling my mind. So, when you came back, you came back to your physical state. (laughs) Yeah, and it hurt. (laughs) (laughs) No, but if you keep continuously learning this, you can continuously learn how to dissolve it. Yeah. It's like Wim Hof. He dissolves his... He hiked Mount Everest in shorts. (laughs) (laughs) But... um. So I've come back and I'm trying to crawl and I'm sitting there just and I'm just but I'm just stoked. I'm like, yeah, I've made it. I've done it. You know, done what I came here to do. You know, that's cool. I got through that. You know, I never have to do it again. Thinking to my head. And then next thing, the um, microphone comes on and the guru's up the front of the room and he goes, he goes, five minute break and we start again. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like collapses. Going, oh, you motherfuckers. <laughs> so that's the thing so they're constantly just breaking you so i thought i thought you go there and you have these mental experiences which you do but it's more about the physical form and dissolving the physical form to be left within so i've had this crazy strength um come over me because i've found my weakest point i found my breaking point i mean like so i broke and i found my strength out of that and after that i was like if i can get through that and get through that much pain because that was the most physical pain I've ever been in. It's like I can get through anything. So I end up. It's so weird because the whole time through this meditation, you're sitting in this hall with eighty students, and they're all Indian. And the whole time, it was so weird how your mind, how your mind thinks, and the insecurities that come up in your mind. So the whole time I was sitting there looking at these um, Indian guys, thinking that. They were off me. They didn't like me because I was a white guy, like taking it away from their culture. You know, I was in there doing something of their culture. And I was just thinking, you know, I'm, I'm being disrespectful. There's something I was doing. And I was, I was just thinking that they were all hating on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on the 10th day, you're allowed to start talking. And this is what was insane. So, like I was living with that German guy all week. Yeah. And I've put a perception in my mind of what he's like. And how he talks. And then suddenly he opens up and starts talking. And he's a completely different person to what you would picture in your mind. Yeah, His yeah. voice sounds... It's such a weird experience. Well, it's like when you speak to somebody on the phone for, you, for ages and you finally meet them and you're like, 
that voice goes with that face. Yeah, exactly. Just like that. Yeah, like, like I, I, in my day job, I do it every day. I speak to a whole bunch of people who I never see. I just speak to them on the phone every day. They all work for the same company, but I need to talk to them every day. And I'm like, I never, I never even met met half of them. Yeah, and then you see, and, him, and then you see him for the first time. You're like, oh, you're like a, you look like that. <laughs> <laughs> That's you. Someone I pictured. Um, well, it's just so weird that that all the Indians came out. And we're allowed to speak. And as soon as we're allowed to speak, all the Indians just came up and just embraced. They were just like my brother. We just, like they were all couldn't wait all week just to talk to me or, and talk to the other Westerners. It was like mm. oh, so I was sitting there. It was the actual opposite perception that I actually had in my mind, which is another massive learning experience. And I always think about that now. If I ever feel any insecurities or anything, I'm thinking this is just my mind. It's like this may not be their perception. And even if it was, why does it matter? But it's just like. You know, when I'm worried about what someone's thinking of me, then I'm like, you know what? They're probably not even thinking that. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. it was just another big learning experience. But anyway, we ended up, it was such a bonding experience. I became brothers with all these guys. And we stayed up all night taking photos and like just ha- hanging out and having a good time. And the vibration, the vibe that was going on was just, it was just incredible. It was like we were just all brothers. And at the end of it, we went and we went and hung out with a couple of these Indian guys. They took us around. We all went out to dinner. It was pretty funny because we got stuck in traffic. And I, um, I was late for my plane to fly to Indonesia. Yeah. So I so was racing through these Indian guys trying to get me to the airport. And then they dropped me off at the wrong airport. Oh, God. <laughs> and I'm stuck there. But you could... The other one was a couple of Ks away and I had my board back and I was just like, that's it. I'm just running. <laughs> so I just started running. I just made my flight. Just yeah. made it. So anyway, so by this stage, I've flown from Gold Coast to um, Singapore, gotten off in Singapore, flown to Chennai. Yeah. I've done the meditation for two weeks. I just had this amazing awakening experience where I've just found my strength. It's just, I just know what I can get through now. And then I've flown from there to Bangkok and then from there to Bali, Indonesia. And so I was going to Bali to um, go straight to Western Bala. Yeah. So yeah, just to... Where I used to live in Western Bar, I was just going to go there, surf for a couple of weeks, get my bearings back, you know, and then go home to work. So I fly into Indonesia the first day and um, I've got a motorbike in Indonesia, right? One that I've had for years that I bought off a friend years ago when I used to live there. And I left it with a friend of mine. She's a surf photographer. Anyway, so she was always using it and she ended up going to Hawaii um, for this photo shoot. But ended up not returning. She ended up staying there for the whole season. So normally, every time she'd leave, or when I would leave, I'd leave my motorbike at my friend's house, and he'd look after it for me. Yeah. Because she was just going to go for a week and come back. She left it at the hotel she was staying at. So anyway, she's end up going for like four or five months. So then I've messaged her. You know, said, "Oh, I'm on my way to Indonesia. Where's my motorbike?" And she's like, "Yeah, yeah, just um go up to these surf villas up at Uluwatu and Bali. Um, your bike's in there waiting for you." <laughs> So I've organized with that hotel owner to go up and get my bike. Anyway, so they've organized a driver to pick me up at the airport. I've yeah. flown into Bali airport, got in the car. I'm tired. I haven't slept all night because I was up all night with those Indian guys and I was on the plane. And I'm so tired. I'm thinking I'm just going to get on my bike. I'm going to go to a hotel, sleep for the day. Then that night I was going to get up and do the overnight ride to Sambawa. So that's when you ride across Bali to um, uh, to the ferry to get to Lombok. Then you get the ferry to Lombok yeah. and then you ride across Lombok and then get the ferry to Sambara then ride to Sambara where we stay so it's like a 14 hour motorbike trip plus ferry so you do it overnight so there's no traffic otherwise it's it takes twice as long yeah so I thought I'll just grab my motorbike go have a sleep 
and then just hit it straight away. So we get up to this hotel and um, they've given me my motorbike key and walked me around the back into the car park and they go, here's your motorbike. And I've looked at it and I'm like, that's not my motorbike. <laughs> like, what do you mean? It's, what do you mean it's not your motorbike? And the guy walks over and puts my key in it and starts it. And he's like, yeah, it's your motorbike. I'm like, no, that isn't my bike. And then I start looking around it and it's this old beat up bunger of a bike. And my bike was quite a new, nice bike. But it's the same like model, same type of bike, same type of, um, it was a Honda Vario. Yeah. And anyway, I'm looking around and then I saw on one of the guards, is this crack in it? Where my mate crashed years ago when he was drunk, (laughs) (laughs) when he crashed it. And I looked at it and I went, holy shit, it is my bike. I was like, those little motherfuckers have just been crossing and changing parts with their bikes off my bike. So it still had everything on it. Still had all the mirrors, the seat, the guards and everything. They just weren't the original guards. So all the workers for that hotel would be rocking up slowly over that five months and rock up and be like, oh, that's a pretty nice seat on that bike. Taking parts off of it. Yeah, and just swapping. So I've ended up with this bike that's just a... um, yeah, just a mix match of all these weird parts. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> you fucking motherfuckers. Anyway, yeah, the worst thing was my surfboard racks weren't on it. Mm. So I couldn't go. So anyway, luckily, old mate, the guy, the owner of the hotel, um, Ken, a really nice guy, he felt pretty bad for me. So he's like, you know what, dude? Like, fuck, don't worry about it. He's like, take one of my bikes, sweet. You know, just bring it back in a couple of weeks. So I was setting off for this, for this trip to go to Sambawa. Hmm. And I thought, you know, before I go, I better get a whole heap of money out because they've got better ATMs there in Bali. You can get more money out than over some bars. It's pretty rare. So I go to the ATM. And you know Indonesian money, how it's massive wads. It's like, uh, yeah, oh, you know, know so the biggest it, note's yeah. $10. So I wanted to get out, get out 800 bucks. So that is 80 notes. Yeah. It's a lot of notes. Wait, 80 notes. Fuck. I'm so out of it, dude. <laughs> but anyway, so it's this big wad of cash. Well, it's like everywhere around the yeah. world. It's like, yeah, um, Mongolia was the same. Yeah. Just lots and lots of notes. Yeah. You know, like, how just, do you people live? Wallet just fills up. So anyway, you know, as you know, in mm. Australia now, I don't drink too much, but I like to get high. Mm. So when I go out now, like if I go out to watch a band, I'll roll a couple of joints, I'll put them in my wallet, and then um, I'll put them in my, in my wallet, and then I'll go out for the night. So anyway... I'm there getting money out in Indonesia because I get such a big wad of cash out. I take it out of the ATM. There's this big wad of cash. I count it and then I go to put it in my wallet. But because it's such a big wad, I have to really open up my wallet, stretch it out. And I've opened up my wallet and looked down the bottom of my wallet, squashed down the bottom are two big rolled joints. And I'm sitting in Bali and I've gone, holy shit. I just went through Gold Coast Airport, Singapore Airport, Chennai Airport, <laughs> Bangkok Airport, <laughs> Indonesian <laughs> Airport with two big fat rolled joints in my po- pocket and they stunk. <laughs> and I was like, I shat myself. I was like, holy fuck. How did you not know they were in there? Just because I'd probably been out to see a band a couple of weeks before or whatever and I'd probably rolled two or three joints and smoked one of them. The other two from putting money in my wallet all night had been pushed down the bottom and squashed and I just never opened my wallet up that much to have a look. I just forgot forgot about it. Oh, man. Man, that was so lucky. So, <laughs> oh my, I was freaking out. So, anyway, I was like, I've got to, tr- I've got to get rid of these. And, you know, being in Bali. And well, I was like, give me a lighter. Yeah. yeah, then I was like, you know what? I'm, um, 
leaving tonight anyway to go to Sambara. And Sambara, you know, because Bali's got the whole, it's got a whole trade about setting up Westerners. So I was like, you know, once I'm out of Bali, it's okay anyway. So that night, I get on the bike and head to Sambala. So it's a big overnight trip. And it's just amazing because Sambala, West Sambala is so different to Bali and Lombok. It's, just, it's more raw. It's so raw, you know. Mm. Such countryside. You go through jungle. It's barren land. It's just crystal clear water. Only small villages. It's so beautiful. Anyway, we get over there and um, two mates of mine, the two guys that I own the yacht with, that is another story, but me and a couple of friends own a yacht that we sailed around Indonesia yeah, with. Yeah, yep, yep. So t- um, two of them with another mate built a house there. So I just go and stay at their place. So anyway, I go over and I stay with them and we're surfing every day, um, hanging out, you know, having the normal, you know, good time, having a few beers and everything. And I met this um, Australian couple this guy and this girl, and they, they wanted to go spearing. They're really keen spear fishermen. They've asked me to take them spearing because I um, used to live over there and everything. I kind of know the spots and everything. I said, yeah, let's go up. They wanted to go up the side of this big cliff face that um, we call it a tropical beach. And it's this, oh, the cliff is probably, it's 500 meters out to sea probably and around this big corner and that's just open ocean. Yeah. It's an amazing, beautiful, beautiful cliff. And, but right up at the end of the tip is a big hole. It's a big drop off in the reef in this big hole and you get heaps of job fish, tunas, there's mackerels and bitten GTs out there. And I said, well, that's the spot. You know, it's a big swim out, but let's go out there. But I kind of cooked it because at the same time, I didn't think it was, it was full moon at the time and it was a king high tide. So it's a lot of water coming in, a lot of water moving. Plus there was a bit of swell. So there was a bit of waves pushing in. So anyway, we've gone and we've swum out there and it's like an hour and a half swim out. So you're swimming and diving the whole way out to this thing. And then we get to this hole at the tip of this cliff and we start diving straight up. We start seeing fish everywhere. But then we, we hear this screaming, like people yelling at us and we've come up and on the edge of the cliff are these two fishermen. Yeah. Now, because it's such a big cliff and such a far way out, yeah. they would have hiked and they, they would have had to have camped out there for the night to be able to fish that spot. That's how far it is from like, oh, this, okay. how yeah, far yeah, this yeah. cliff is and like how rugged it is to try and climb out there. So they've suddenly seen these spear fishermen come out to their fishing spot. So they've just started screaming at us, going, go around the corner, go around the corner, you know, like waving at us. So I've come up, at, you know, to get a breath and I've said to the guy, should we go around the front of the cliff? And they're like, yeah, yeah, right. Let's go around the front. So we started swimming around. Then I've gone for a dive. Meanwhile, I've gone for a dive. So when you're diving, spearing, you're diving about two minutes underwater. So I'm down for about two minutes. Meanwhile, in that time, because we've come just around the front of the cliff, that's all open ocean. Yeah. So because it's a high tide and all that water's coming in plus the swell, it's pushing water in and pushing water out. So because that's going out to open ocean past those cliffs, there is a massive, massive rip going out there, this massive current. Yeah. So I'm down underwater and we're getting dragged, like unknown to me, we're getting dragged around this cliff really quickly. The other two guys have gone into a panic and just started swimming for it, but I'm underwater. So they're panicking and just swimming because they've suddenly caught in this massive rip. Now I've come up for this, I've come up for a breath, come up from diving, I've come up for a breath and as soon as I've gone to take a breath, I've just choked on whitewash, on water, just swallowed. I was like, ugh, you know, like what's going on here? So then I've gone for another breath and again, choked again. So I'm like, oh my God, and I can feel the top of the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all wavy. It's this big, yeah, it's just big churning whitewash and just whitewash slamming into each other. So I've got, because I've got these big flippers on like a meter, 1.2 1.2 meter flippers kind of thing i um go underwater and i get like a big kind of swim up and jump out of the water push the air out and get a big breath 
and then go back down and then I, I've come up to kind of have a look at what's going on. I'm, I'm just in this big churn. I've seen the other guys going, swim, swim. And I've looked and I'm just going so fast past this cliff, just getting dragged out to sea. So I'm like, oh my God. So I just start swimming as fast as I can. Mm. But because I borrowed from a mate that owns the house, I borrowed his spearfishing gear. And at the time, he just got a boy that had washed up on the beach. It's this big foam thing, this big, big square foam block. And he just tied a rope around it. Yeah. So normally you have like more of a, I'd say, aerodynamic um, float on you. But this is just this big square foam thing. Yeah. So I've tried to swim against this rip with it. And it's just anchoring behind me in this whitewash. And, you know, it's about 20 meters behind me, but it's just anchoring back. And I'm just going backwards faster than I'm. I'm swimming as fast as I can. I'm just going backwards. So I start pulling it into to me and I'm thinking, okay, I've got to cut this rope. I've got to cut it. But then I, I start thinking, if I cut it and don't make this swim, then I'm out to sea and I've got nothing to nothing float to on. float on, yeah. So, so I'm like, shit. And by, by this stage, I'm starting to lose, to lose the go in me. I've been, this is about two minutes, three minutes in of just swimming as hard as I can. And wondering, what do I do? Do I cut this float off? And the cliffs, I'm starting to lose the cliff side. Once I lose the end of that cliff, because right now we're going around the front of it. Yeah. Right, once I lose that cliff, I'm out to sea. I'm gone. So I pull the buoy into me and I get on it. And just to get a breath, I hold it and I just come up out of water, just just get a breath and try and think of what to do. And then I, I thought to myself, fuck, I'm going to die. There is no way. This is this is the heaviest, this is the closest I've been to dying. It's the closest I've been to drowning. Yeah. But choking on that water... Not being able to get a breath, that was that scared the crap out of me. Because I was, this is the thing, we spend so much time, well, I spend so much time in the ocean, I feel so comfortable in that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, every so often it can just take it from you. Well, yeah, well, you because I grew up next to the ocean as well, is that you just sort of, like, and school does it as well, they take you out and they teach you just basics of swimming in the ocean and how to survive and stuff and... Well, most of the time they teach if you get caught in a rip, just let it take you because you'll be able to swim back in. Yeah, swim diagonal straight to the beach. Depending on the situation though. (laughs) But this is just... oh, Never swim against it. Always swim diagonal. What was scary about this is how much power was in the ocean. Like I couldn't... There was nothing I could do against it. I'm sitting there watching this cliff go by and suddenly I was sitting there and it was like I was about to give up. I was like, there's no way. I'm just going to hold on to this boy and go out to sea. Yeah, I'm like I just I'm fighting for it here. It's just I'm not going to make it. I've lost breath. I've lost because I've been already swimming for about an hour and a half, two hours at that point. And all your muscles are just burning. And then I've just gone hard trying to swim out of that rip, and I've started to give up. And next thing I've just thought to myself, "Fuck! If I got through India, I can get through anything." No joke. This is I've used this. This is what I use all the time now when I do big runs, when I anything challenging in life, I literally go, if I got through India, I can get through this. So anyway, I look at the cliff and it's it's massive. It's this massive tall cliff. But I look at it and there's a ledge about five meters up, but there's these massive waves just coming in and slamming against it. Mm. You know, it's right at the end. I'm like, this is my only hope. And I was losing the cliff. And I was like, fuck trying to swim around around the point to get out of the rip. Fuck getting like I'm not going to make it fucking sucked out to sea because no one's ever going to find me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, that's it. That's my only hope, swim for that cliff. So I've just started swimming for this cliff diagonally against that rip trying to get in and I'm just watching. I'm going sideways. I'm going sideways so fast. I'm just swimming straight for this barnacle cliff face. Yeah. Anyway, I, I'm getting close to it. And I'm watching it. I'm like, I'm not going to make the cliff. I'm not going to make the cliff because I can't get there in time before it's pushing me sideways. And I literally, it was so lucky because once I got within a couple of meters of it, the rip died off. 
And I literally got into that last two meters and I would have had a meter. I would have had a meter left of the cliff and I was gone. And I literally got right up close to the cliff and swam across, across it as a wave kind of sucked in and sucked out. And then I sat there just a couple of meters off it and I watched this wave come in. And I was like, there is no way I'm going to make that. And I watched this wave come in like, and just slam against this cliff face about five meters up. And I just looked at it and went, holy fuck. And I was just like, this is my only option. This is my only fucking option. The other two are still swimming for it. They're still yeah. swimming, but they they never got caught in such severity of the rip. Yeah. So it's like because they noticed what was happening, they started swimming at the start of it, but they were still caught in it, but they never got pushed out as far to where it was so strong where I was. Yeah. So I've suddenly just seen this big wave coming at me, and I've just gone, you know what? This is my only option. This is my only well, option. Swim up to it and jump onto the cliff. No, I just sat there. I was sat there at the bottom of the cliff. All the water sucked out. It went real low. Yeah. And then I just let this wave pick me up and just throw me against the cliff face. And I literally, by this big wave, it was like, it was like five meters, just throws me up on this cliff against this barnacle face cliff. I've literally just got slammed against this cliff and I've just grabbed on and held on for dear life as the water's all dragging out um, from me. Now I've still got these flippers on and everything. Yeah. Now the only thing, I've got this scar on my leg from it. Um, this the only cuts I got was down the side of my leg from when it threw me into the cliff. Yeah. And I've just held on for dear life. And next thing I've seen another wave coming and I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, it's going to hit me. So then I've just held on for dear life. This next wave just hit me and slammed me against the cliff again. And I'm just holding on as all this water force is just dragging down my body, trying to drag me off the cliff. Yeah. Then it goes and then there's not another one coming um, right away. So I was like, oh my God. So I grabbed my flippers, threw it over the, the ledge that was above me because I still had to climb like another couple of meters to get to where this ledge was. And I throw the flipper up. Grab the other flipper, throw it up. Next thing, a wave's coming again. So I grab on and hold on again. Now I'm even more scared because I don't have my flippers if I fall. Yeah. And I'm just holding on for dear life. This wave hits me again. It drags down. And then um, I've still got the spear gun in my hand too, by yeah, the way. Yeah. And it's loaded. And the, f- and the foam? Um, the foam's in the water with <laughs> the rope. The rope's getting all tangled on the rocks and everything. So then I climb up. Attached to you still. Yeah, attached to me. So then I've taken this moment to climb up. I've climbed up the, the next two meters onto this ledge and then all this rope's caught in all the barnacles. And I'm thinking, I, ne- I can't cut it. I need all this stuff just in case I get stuck in more of a situation. So I'm trying to get this. Oh, I'm panicking. You know, like when you're trying, because I'm thinking I've got to get to the other guys as well. I'm going to have to get in and get a boat for them because they're going to get swept out to sea. Yeah. So I'm panicking trying to get this rope. And the more I panic, the more tangled it gets. So I'm just trying to tell myself, calm down, calm down. I can get it. I can get it. So... Everything just goes in a fight or flight, just full adrenaline mode. Because by this stage, of like, all right, well, I've got to safety. I've made it out. Now I've got to save these guys. So I'm trying to get my rope. And um, I've gotten it all up. And then it isn't like just a ledge. It's like big boulders that I've got to climb over to get around. So I grab everything and I start climbing over everything to just try to get around the corner. I get in visual sight of the other guys. And I just start screaming at them because I was kind of swimming in the wrong direction. I was swimming more against it, but there was a safe spot I could see to go left. And I'm just there going, go left, go left, swimming this way, swimming this way. So I've got them to change their direction. And then I'm just, I'm just going as hard as I can, climbing these big boulders, climbing over them. Because I was thinking I'm going to have to get back around, try and jump in the water. Because there's no way you could hike back. Yeah. But try and get around to where it's open water again, like clean where there's no rip around the side of this cliff. And then swim to shore that hour and a half to get a boat, to get a fishing boat to come out and get these guys. But it's taken me about 15 minutes just to get around the corner of these boulders. And by that time, 
um, my friends have gone, they've just gone out of the rip. So now they're in safe water and they're just going for it. So they're, they're, they're spooked by the stage. They're yeah. just swimming in. So they've actually swum past me and they're, they're on their way. So that was just such a relief. But now on their, they're on their way and I'm stuck on this cliff. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and I'm like, oh, God. So that's taken me probably another 15 minutes to climb around more to where I could jump in. I end up where those fishermen are. And I get there and I'm so angry at them because it's like, why would you tell me to go around the corner? And they're like, they're sitting there going, we're so sorry, we're so sorry. Anyway, I had to jump back in the water off the cliff to where they were. And so I've had to, I've had to get these guys to help me, like, throw me all the stuff. So I've had to jump off this cliff and I've had to get them to throw me my items, like, one by one. Yeah. And then, <laughs> oh, fuck. And then I had to just swim in and against so much exhaustion. I got in. I just pretty much collapsed on the beach. I was just completely exhausted. But the only reason I got through that, the, o- there's, the only reason I can put it down and I got through that is because I was able to find my strength that day. I was able, after that Vipassana, I, like, I knew my strength. I, I knew how much strength I had in me. I was like, if I can get through anything, I can get through this. It was so, the amount of fear, the, there was so much fear in in me when I nearly gave up, when I thought, you know, I'm going to drown here. Like, oh, fuck, I was so close to drowning. The amount of fe- fear I had and then I was suddenly overcome, just like, no, I can do this. I can fucking do it. I can do it. If I can get through that, I can do this. And then when I got to the cliff face, the amount of fear I had, it was just insane. I was like, you know, I was putting it off. I was just like, that first wave came and I was just like, fuck it, this is my only option, just do it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, oh, man. So you put that down to your meditation that got you through it? I completely put it down. And that whole thing has just changed my life. It has just changed my whole life experience. It's like I just completely found my strength from it. And so from there, it's like now I do these big runs and I just I get to that or I'm in the gym and I get to that point or just anything in life. People annoy me and I'm just like, no, this is my, you know, this can't get me down. Yeah, You know, I, I know how strong my mind think, is right now. Do you think that's changed your, um, your sort of personality? The way you, the way you live. Um, well, <laughs> I've been on this journey for quite a while and growing mm. th- um, through the last like five, six years, and really, really learning how to be happy and not let those any negative emotions like come up. Like I've been on this journey, but it's just been amplified. Mm. And now it's not only do I know how to be happy, it's like I know how to push myself and I know how to grow and I know where my strength is. So it's like the confidence that you end up having in yourself, and. Um, I think that's the biggest thing, this confidence. You, you, you lose those insecurities. You find so much more love in your life. You find so every, it, yeah, it, it, comp- it was a life changing to the fact that it just, you find your strength. Yeah. You find, you find more appreciation in life. Yeah. And you're able to love more. You're able to be more open. You're able to be more calm. And you put that all down to those. For me, yeah. I think everyone that goes and does a Vipassana has a different experience. I think I, I always say to people, if you're going to go, I've had a lot of people go in Australia and then they're thinking, they think the whole time. Because it's so weird how the mind distracts you because you're not thinking of anything. So your mind is constantly trying to distract you when you're in that meditation. So it's just fluttering off to all these weird thoughts. And one thought that friends say when they do it in Australia is that they can't stop thinking about just going, just going home yeah. and giving up because it gets so hard. Now, I didn't have that option because I yeah, went to I India for it. That's what I thought. If you were in Australia, wouldn't it be easier just to leave because you can just go home? <laughs> exactly. So, it's like I didn't have that option. So, it's like I feel that it was like because of that, it was a one less thing that was trying to distract me that I was able to go deeper because I never had that option. I was like, this is what I've come here for. 
just do it and do it fully. So it's like I wanted to, I wanted to push myself, I wanted to dive deeper. Yeah, yeah, dude, it was it was life changing. Anyone that's, I always tell my friends, like anyone that's having a lot of problems, like dealing with their emotions, like getting stressed or getting angry or getting frustrated, easy or anything, I I, I always recommend doing it of a partner because it was something that, yeah, it really changed my life in that way. It really, really found my strength. It really really made me want to challenge myself and grow so if somebody wants to do it what's the best option to do um just google um just google vipassana and it'll come up the dharma website and um you can find a center like literally i just you can there's three centers in australia so you can find places in australia you can find when their courses are and you can book in for them they're in india they're in Sri Lanka, they're in america they're in south america yeah they're everywhere so it's like they're all through europe so it's like you can do it anywhere, but it's it's amazing. Yeah, that's an interesting experience. Yeah, well, it was it was life changing, and now I'm a happier version of myself. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's that's my India India part two story. That's such a different experience to your first one. Well, it's such a different experience in so many levels. So because I had this brotherhood with all these guys. And they took me in after, especially that they took me out to dinner and I went to their houses and everything. The hospitality that they had in the south towards me was nothing like what they had in, had in the north. Yeah. So I just had this ma- amazing experience where I really formed these connections. And these guys, I'll be friends with forever. It's like the love that I have in between it, like in between us guys. It's just like, like we all went through that experience together. You know what I mean? We all um, went through that hard time together. So yeah. it's like, there's a, like a bond. I don't know. It's just like, it's just a yeah, bond. Yeah, it's like there. a bond. Yeah, yeah. of course. Um, yeah, that can be formed in all kinds of different ways. Like, you know, there's, when I was in Mexico, I, um, there was a couple of Norwegian guys that just happened to arrive at the same time I did. And, you know, I spent the whole time there. They were there at the same time as well. I think I stayed maybe a week longer than they did. And yeah, you just, I, I have no idea you know of any of what they were before and i don't i I stay in contact with them a little bit but yeah you sort of sort of just create a bond together just because you spent this time obviously completely different experience we're just having a good time and traveling but but you still share that bond yeah but i share yeah yeah we share that bond in mexico together and you're experiencing those experiences together yeah that's the whole thing you're on this adventure that's what i love about traveling that's why you always try and stay in hostels people go why do you stay in dorms and hostels like sometimes i I like to get a private room and everything to have your own space, but think, it's like that's where you meet people. Yeah, I think it, it depends on um, on the country too. But I think yeah, you are right. If you stay in in dorms, everyone's there to meet someone. Everyone's traveling from somewhere. Yeah. So there's all stories to be told and and people to meet. And you meet the coolest people, dude. Yeah, of course. I just from tra- I just booked this trip. Where I'm about to go um, Hawaii, um, Canada, Montreal, New York, Iceland, Norway, Sweden, England, mm. China. And then come back to Australia. Oh, I'll get to Indonesia first, actually. Sorry. But I put it out on social media. And everywhere I'm going, I got a place offered to me to stay from people that I've met traveling before. Yeah, exactly. You know. You grow your these, sort of social circle. Yeah, these bonds that I've wide. shared with people. And, you know, they, they're happy for you, for you to come stay with them. There was, um, there was an Irish guy I met in, um, in Mexico and... Um, not long after Mexico, I ended up being in England maybe like four weeks later and he was, I only spent like a week with him and he was a good guy but he just, he literally goes, you going to Ireland? And I went, oh no, I'm not. And he goes, oh okay, I was going to give you a few places you could probably stay for, you know, with family if you need it. Yeah, I was just, like, 
I was like, that's pretty crazy just to offer that up like that. Yeah. So, yeah, you do you do create bonds with people. And I they, love they it. They have an absolute trust in you. To I love when they come to Australia and you get to give them a good time. Yeah, I love it too. <laughs> I, I, I haven't had too many people come and visit me, but, yeah, I have had mates yeah, who bring friends from overseas and, yeah, they're saying, you're like, oh, let's go, you know, let's go down to the shop. And he's like, oh, do I need to wear shoes? Like, are there, <laughs> you know, are there spiders? Like, yeah, take you know, them to the rainforest, take them to the beach, get yeah. to do fun shit with them. Yeah, I know. I do love showing people around. It's, it's good fun. Yeah. Speaking mm. of going to do fun stuff, we're in Brisbane right now. It's a Sunday afternoon. And it's fucking hot. It is so hot. And let's go get a beer. Yeah, do you want to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. Thanks, Ace, for um, listening to my spiritual story. All good. <laughs> Just say. So if you like this episode, please feel free to share it and leave a rating. And if you have or know of anyone with a wild story, please get in contact with me through my Instagram, Aaron underscore Shanks, or the website, diariesofthewildones.com, because I'd love to sit down over a beer or a coffee and hear it. I do it like a double.